0: Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, JR. Good to see you again, my friend.
1: Yeah, man. It is uh, it is the the month that all pastors should be most excited about. <laughs> Which is what? <laughs> Pastor Appreciation Month, baby. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Because
0: I know in the past, I, I remember last year we talked, it was a little bit of like just some conflicted feelings yes. about pastor appreciation. Um, let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think for for many pastors, uh, it's probably like uh, Valentine's Day when you were in elementary school where you were you were secretly hoping to have the, the cute boy or girl send you that nice little card, but you were kind of nervous that it wasn't going to happen. And so I feel like, I mean, both you and I have had conversations with other pastors where it's one of those months where we don't want a big deal, but it's kind of like, it, it it's just nice to be noticed. And part of me feels like if a church is ever going to get pastor appreciation month, right? This is the year to make sure your pastors feel the appreciation. Um, and I know you and myself, uh, are, we have had m- more conversations about pastors who are tired and burned out and beat up than we have pastors who are feeling great. Yeah. Yeah. So few
0: are feeling great right now. And as we lean into the winter, I know that there are many pastors that have told me the D word that they feel dread Mm. of just knowing that it's going to be hard, especially for those of us not in the South where it's going to get cold quickly. And they're, they're concerned, they're concerned not just for their congregation and their country, but also for their own, their own sanity, their own health, their own mental health, their own well being. And so uh, if you are not a pastor and you're listening into this, Would you do your pastor and your church a great favor, and that's to not just yourself, but rally some others that can thank your pastor right now uh, after the last several months, which has been the hardest for almost every pastor that they've ever been through in ministry. Um, Do all you can. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Just take some time to be thoughtful, to write a note, to write a... something of encouragement to include others in that because this is really important and if you're a pastor um you yeah i know you're feeling conflicted but we are so grateful for you we see you we hear you this is why we have this podcast we're so grateful for you and we hope that in some way not just this month but every month that you feel appreciated that you feel seen that you feel heard that you feel equipped to be able to just um not just with the you know strategic side of how do we do this, but also on just a, wow, God's not done with me yet. Wow. I may not see fruit, but God is honored by my faithfulness. And I I just hope that you just know you're not alone in this season and in this time.
1: Yeah. And pastors, I I think that um, as I've been praying for you all, Uh, And for the pastors that I know and the pastors that I don't know, my prayer has just been that in this, you would find a deep well of resilience, that Mm. you would notice Jesus showing up in places that you never have before. Um, That in the midst of all the, the hard conversations and the hard decisions and the decisions that just feel like that just keep coming, that you would just be reminded that it's not what you do that matters. It's who you are. And that Jesus loves you for who you are, not what you do. And so I just want to encourage you today, as you are sitting in the beginning of October, thinking about Pastor Appreciation Month, may you know that there are two guys right now sitting in their offices, thanking God for the work that you're doing. That even if your church doesn't come together and put something, put cards or put notes of appreciation together, know that we see and we hear you. We appreciate all of the work that you do. And we're just so thankful that we get to call ourselves Mm -hmm. brothers and sisters of the cloth. and We have a chance to work together for the renewal of all things in the congregations in which God has given us. Mm -hmm. May you be gentle with yourself in the months to come as the winter is coming. May you be reminded that Christ is still on throne, that he's with you, that he's not going to leave you and that he's going to guide you. He sent his Holy Spirit, the comforter, the guider, the teacher. And so may you lean on the spirit in this season. Um, but man, we just love you all so much. Uh, those that we've never met, those that we have met, we're just so grateful for you. Um, and we we did want to leave you with uh, not only just the encouragement, but even some laughter. And so we thought it would be great to share some Babylon B headlines with you all. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we got to laugh, Doug, right? And we do. Every
0: time we've got to laugh. And so, I mean, even before we started recording, oh my gosh, we were just laughing so hard. So <laughs> I know that there are a lot of people that find this to be one of their Favorite segments that we do from time to time. So, (laughs) and even if
1: they don't, it doesn't matter because we do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you got to have some good laughter before our interview. So, we were talking about this one, Doug. Baptists lose hundreds of pounds thanks (laughs) to canceled
1: potlucks. Oh my gosh, it's so true. I would, That would be awesome if there were actually some churches that may have done like a Biggest Loser competition throughout this thing. If that's you, like, let us know. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is not just fiction; this is truth on the internet. This was one of mine. Worship leader summons power of Moses to achieve perfectly parted hairstyle. <laughs>
0: Speaking of worship leaders, it says, American tourists surprised when everyone in England speaks in worship leader accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, with, with Halloween coming up, Doug, we were just about to about this one. It says, Nations empty churches to become spirit Halloween stores. <laughs>
1: Halloween stores just crack me up dude they're they literally show up everywhere like I'm surprised (laughs) there's not one in my shed right now it's like we've been unoccupied for a few days you know this is for all for all of the for all the tech people who are listening for the church sound guys and girls Church sound guy church. insists faulty microphone was an inside job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is a man returning
0: to church, proud that he still remembers all the words to good, good father. <laughs> <laughs> And one, we don't normally get political on this show, but this was one that made us laugh. laugh. Catholics kneel in mass protest, then stand, then sit, (laughs) kneel, then stand again. (laughs) Oh my gosh.
1: So good.
0: Oh man. So good. We, We are still trying hard. So we want to crowdsource. We have tried our best to try to identify the founders of Babylon B and we've sent emails and we followed up with emails and we're not getting anything back. So if any of you out there have any contact, we would love to be able to, um, to interview uh, one or both of the founders of the Babylon Beast. If any of our listeners have contacts, please. Please let us know. Please help us because we would love to have
1: them as one of our guests on this program. So yes. that would yes. be great. So, I feel like that that'll probably be up there with like NT. It'll probably be above <laughs> NT. Right? It's like, dude, we had this guy NT right on. Nothing in comparison to the <laughs> founders of the Biblebel. Bad- <laughs> we don't even know their names off the top. yeah, of our- we all, like just the founders. It's like, I feel like there's these two pictures with question marks and like faces <laughs> blotted out. And we're like, how do who are they?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking of our guests, uh, we're really excited about this conversation we have coming up with our friend, Dr. Chris Backert. And Chris Backert has been a friend of mine for the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years, 12 years, 15 years or so. And uh, Chris is um, one of these guys who's one of the most connected guys uh, among Christian denominations and pastors and leaders who y- you've never heard of before. Um Chris Backert, is he helped found the Ecclesia Network, which is the network that our church is a part of, uh, ecclesianet.org. But he's also the director of Fresh Expressions US, a a movement of churches that are thinking outside the church walls about how the Holy Spirit can do new and creative things. And so uh, he also is the founder of Missio Alliance. He's no longer there with Missio Alliance, but he founded Missio Alliance, this uh, collective of people, and that can be found at Missio alliance.org that's one of our partners here uh, on the podcast but um he's just he's just been a, a wonderful uh trailblazer and pioneer for kingdom work across north america he's never written a book he's hardly ever on social media but he is just constantly working behind the scenes to do all he can to see kingdom fruit in a movement across north america and so we're excited about this conversation that I had with him. I want to apologize up front about the, the audio quality uh, on this podcast. So it's a little bit uh, different than normal, not as good as normal. So I just want to apologize, but just soldier through on that one. Uh, and Doug and I won't have any outro like we normally do in terms of resources and questions. But we really do hope that you enjoy this conversation with our friend, Chris Backert. Chris, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining me here this morning. Oh, absolutely. It's good to be here, man. It's always great to connect. You and I were just talking about when we first met. I think you're one of my longest ministry friends that I've had through all of the seasons, ups and downs. And we were just reflecting. What what did you say? It was March 2008?
2: Yeah, I think you and I first spoke in March 2008. I remember uh, I was painting uh, my bedroom in the house that we had just moved into. And, uh, we had a time that we were going to try to talk and I took a break and gave you a call. And I think you, I think you said it was pouring down rain wherever you were.
0: Yeah. We had literally within the hour had decided it really discerned talking with a church planner in Philadelphia that we were going to plant a church. And we said, well, we don't know what the heck we're doing, but we really sense God's calling us to do this. And then you like called me. It's like you were listening in on our. Conversation, my wife and I in the car. So that's pretty cool providential timing on that. So, yeah. So you, um, obviously, I know you. You know me. People that don't know you, tell us a little bit of your story, just to start. Um, where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? How did yeah. you end up in ministry?
2: Sure. So I grew up in a little bit north of Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, I'm a I'm a baptized Catholic. And a rebaptized Baptist. Um, so, you may need to explain that for our yeah, listeners. So <laughs> I, 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 uh, I grew up uh, early, early days. Uh, my family kind of had a—I uh, just call it a split faith. My dad kind of had a Catholic upbringing, and that was really important. You know, he grew up in the city of Baltimore, and uh, we were from a German heritage. And uh, so, I was christened as a child, and and spent some time around the Catholic church when I was younger. So that's why I say I'm a baptized Catholic. Um, I'm still in, they count me. Um, <laughs> so, and then, uh, when, uh, when, when I was young, my parents, they were, they were nominal, uh, church goers at best. And, um, but they kind of had that, like, we're having a, a you know, a, a son grow up. We probably ought to take him to church. Huh. And, uh, my mom, was pregnant with my sister at the time and it was hot and it was summer when they decided they should do this and there were just two churches nearby one was the Catholic Church and one was a Baptist Church and um, the Baptist Church had air-conditioning and the Catholic wow. Church did not. I and did not so, know this story. So they, wow. they, they chose the Baptist Church because <laughs> it had air <laughs> Wow. So, uh, so eventually, um, that's kind of where my, my family landed and it was at the time, um, you know, it was a, it, w- it was a Southern Baptist church, but it was in the North. So it was very unique. Uh, I mean, this is 1982 and I mean, we had a female pastor and wow. um, people would be surprised to to know that today, <laughs> but yeah, but so you know, those were a lot of my early memories. I remember being part of the Catholic church. I remember being part of the Baptist church, uh, growing up, but it was not your typical Southern Baptist uh, congregation. So so we grew up in Maryland. I, um, felt a call to ministry when I was a senior in high school. And, uh, that's a, that's a longer tale, but I, I went, uh, when that happened, I went to my pastor and I said, I feel called to be a pastor and he, he told me two things he said well if you're called to pastor that means you're called to preach and if you're called to preach the only way you learn to preach is to get going so next sunday you're up no and way so the very very next week <laughs> I, I was up preaching and that was his philosophy uh and then wow. he said and you got and you got to go to bible school uh cuz you're too young to go to seminary so so I, I picked the Bible college that seemed like it was the, the best choice for me at the time. And, uh, and it was a good choice for me at the time. Uh, I, I, I had a lot to learn and, um, and it was a, it was a, it was a good place for me for those years. Got involved in church planning really early on, uh, even when I was a, a 19 years old, I uh, involved in my first church plant, uh, on staff. And, uh, then eventually, uh, left Maryland, where I was on staff of the church plant, moved to Blacksburg, Virginia. I pastored a larger university area church for seven years, took a team of people to plant a church in Richmond, Virginia. And kind of in that between time, between leaving Blacksburg and moving to Richmond is when we uh, started Ecclesia Network, and that's how I know you, JR. Mm -hmm. And um, and then once we landed in Richmond, a few years later, uh, we uh, started Fresh Expressions, and um, and then a little bit later after that we started Missio Alliance, and then around 2013 passed off the church that we had started in Richmond, and we moved back to uh, Maryland, Central Pennsylvania, where my wife's family's from and my family's from, and um, and we've been here in the Harrisburg area since then.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you—I've always known you to be an incredible starter, and you—you—you you, you planted churches, you started Ecclesia, you started Fresh Expressions in the United States, Missio Alliance. When did you know you were wired as a pioneer, as a Kingdom starter? Because that's clearly who you
2: are. Yeah, I don't—I don't think I ever—I I don't think I ever really understood that about myself. Uh, probably huh. until. After I had started everything that I've been involved in started, and um, you know, I think a lot of times, I think this is true for a lot of people when you, when you're living out of whatever the gift that God has given you. And I remember Dallas Willard saying something to me once that, uh, you know, you probably only have one spiritual gift, maybe two, but most people probably have one, and. I remember I asked him, I said, well, how how do you know which one you have? Because if you take a gift test, you you know, usually it says you have a few. He says, well, you might be good at a number of things that have a spiritual relationship, but the thing that's probably your spiritual gift is the area where you put in the least effort and you get the most from it because it's clear that God is working with you and you're not working out of your own capacity. Hmm. And I think when people find you know, that they're operating out of whatever their gift is. So, you know, I think about UJR as a, as a teacher and a communicator, you know, my guess would be, yes, you'd give a lot of diligent work in that, but that comes probably easier for you than it does for me. And uh, I think when it comes to starting and pioneering, it's just something I don't really think about. It just happens. I almost have to control it not happening. (laughs) Um, So otherwise, you know, I would drive my family insane. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, but it's probably because that's just, that is my gift. Uh, there might be mm. other things I'm good at, but that's the spiritual gift that God has, has has given me.
0: Yeah. And certainly the people that know you and have been around you for a while, just know that if there is a spiritual gift of starting ministries and organizations for the sake of the kingdom, that's certainly your, your gift. Um, and because of that, I mean, you've been on the front lines as a pastor, but also sort of, you know, some of our friends jokingly call you the bishop, right? You sort of oversee organizations and ministries and and build into pastors. You get a chance to connect probably with more pockets and denominations and tribes and associations of churches across North America than almost anybody, at least anybody that I know. And so you get a chance to kind of see the good, the bad and the ugly of what's going on in the church in North America. And so I think for our pastors who are listening in, um, Help us kind of step up on the balcony and kind of look out over a little bit of the North American church. What mm. um, we'll talk about what encourages you, but let's start with what are some things that might concern you, especially even in sort of the pandemic as the great disruptor and accelerator. Mm. What what are some of those concerns that you're seeing in this season?
2: Yeah, wow, there are there are so many in this season uh, because it's uh, a time of great upheaval and like you just mentioned so many of the trends that people would be would have been expecting to take five or 10 years to come to fruition. You know, they're, they're going to come to fruition much sooner. And we're seeing that play out in all aspects of our society, not just in the life of the church. So, but I think this is a, this is a great disruptor and my concerns, uh, my concerns are Uh, One of the primary ones is I think uh, we're going to be really surprised whenever things get back to a place of stability in our society and we're not operating in the immediacy of the pandemic moment. And, you know, there's a vaccine and it it sort of has dissipated the virus. I think that we're going to find there's a lot of people that are not going to return to church as normal who Mm -hmm. were faithfully going before. Uh, There was that Varna report maybe came out a month or so ago that that said that almost half of all people who were regular church attenders had yet to attend a virtual service. And um, that's pretty, you know, uh, astounding. And I think right now we can probably look and say that we've got at least another nine months of, of the this kind of situation that we're in now. Uh, I mean, even even with the best case scenarios, you know, some vaccine by the end of the year, more likely the beginning of 2021. It's going to take a while to get out to everybody. So probably by next March, it seems like people will start, we'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, but that's a long time to be out of our normal patterns of behavior. and 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 you can just, see how that's playing out in the rest of our society. And I think there's some people who just think it's going to snap back. Uh, but mm-hmm. most people think that it's just not going to snap back. Yeah, sure. If, if, if half people haven't been attending, most half of those people go back. Yeah, maybe. But there's a lot of people that are not, are not going to return. And, um, or they're not going to return in the same way. So I think churches are just going to be in a period of great instability for, for at least half a decade. Uh, if not longer, and most of our church structures, and you know and you and I have talked about this many times, are really built for periods of stability, uh, and especially you know some of our older congregations actually may weather this storm better than uh, some of our newer congregations who maybe are 10, 20 years old, who have a building, who have a mortgage because the older congregations that have been around a long time, you know, they've got they've got memories in their church even today of you know, maybe living through World War, living through Vietnam. I mean, they've lived through all of these crises and they've seen pastors come and go and they don't have a mortgage. Hmm. Uh, and yet, when I talk to leaders across North America, denominational type leaders who are looking at a, you know, an array of churches, uh, the churches that they are most concerned for are. Uh, suburban uh, mid-sized congregations with a mortgage uh, because all of the factors of the moment would say those are the churches that have the, the greatest risk uh, in, in making it through the situation. So, but I think, I think yeah, we've, got, we've got churches in general who are unprepared for, uh, they don't have a structure and a way of organizing for a, a longer period of instability.
0: So, and that, What's that could interesting. Go a lot of
2: different ways, but that's that's probably at the epicenter.
0: Yeah, and sorry to interrupt here. I, it's it sounds like you are speaking in such a way that it might shock people because they might think, oh, you know, the old traditional churches, they're they're not going to make it. It's the young, innovative, you know, relevant, whatever words you want to use, they're going to be fine. Or you know, oh, the, you know, suburban. Um, middle class, upper middle class, upward mobile, upwardly mobile people—that's probably going to make it. You're saying kind of the opposite in what you're hearing.
2: I, I think, and, and yes, and and you could think right. about it in a few different ways. You know, first of all, if um, you know if you're a smaller, more rural congregation, um, you know, most likely, or you're in a more urban setting, you you probably have a thicker skin uh, than mm. your typical suburban congregation, and. Even leaders that I've spoken with now, uh, when when they're surveying their churches and kind of finding out in places where they are able to be open in some capacity. And of course, that's shrinking. Uh, what they're finding is it's their their longtime members who are 55 and up years of age who are ready to come back, risk involved. Right. They're ready to return. It's their younger portion of their congregation who probably are in much less risk who are not ready to come back and uh, that I think is illustrative of uh, a number of things Uh, one of them being you know the the place of the institutional expression of the church in their life and how important it is Um, and uh, their willingness to 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 risk that uh, because it's such a key part of of who they are and their and their life and of course you know in a lot of more rural settings that is the greater composition of the of a congregation so so i think that's 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 one of the ways that we'll we'll start to see it play out um yeah, I, yeah I, i've we'll, talked to a lot of a lot of pastors yeah. who uh again it's that the it's the churches that have been around a hundred years who tell me that they're people have increased their giving during this period of time. And it's the, I've talked to several sort of kind of multi-site, multi-campus, kind of larger churches, and they're the ones that are really uh, struggling financially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been the surprise for me are how many traditional or older churches are saying, actually, our finances are doing just fine. In fact, it's better than it's been the last couple of years. I think that's been the big shock for me. Um, Now, we could easily hear this, Chris, and say, man, these are just really discouraging things. And maybe pastors are listening saying, I was already discouraged before the pandemic. I was already discouraged before this conversation with Chris Backert. But what are some of the encouraging things that you're seeing? What do what you say, man, what an opportunity for the church, even in the midst of such uncertainty?
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is, is what we've seen in the last few months is that churches are capable of innovating and changing if their survival depends upon it. Hmm. And I think that we saw in the month of March and April— uh that the the willingness to change very quickly things that would have never ever changed before mm. and mm. it was because uh there was a, an intuitive understanding among you know almost everyone that if we don't find a way of meeting then we then we're going to be done <laughs> so 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 Churches changed very quickly. And I think that there's a really good, encouraging part of that. And what we've found is that churches have an innovation muscle that they didn't really know they had. Uh, wow. and, and they they are able to exercise it uh, when the cost is, is great enough if they don't. Wow. And so I think that that's the posture as church leaders that we need to help churches carry forward is we need to help them continue to understand that. We are far from over uh, in in this period where we really need to innovate and experiment and and be the people of God in a new way, and we need to keep the the fire on that, so to speak, um, because in most situations people change because of what they don't want to happen than because of what they do want to happen, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of church leaders. Uh, are reticent to just accept and admit is that people change, uh, because they want to avoid negative consequences more than they want to move toward positive consequences. And Mm. so this is a chance for us to, to help people realize that as churches, we've got to continue to do this. If we're going to not just survive, I mean, we, we hope we can survive, but to thrive through this period that we're in. So I think that's a huge encouragement. We know churches can do it. We have to help them find the motivation.
0: And that's a great segue into the organization you helped start Fresh Expressions, U.S. and You've invited me to be a part of that several years ago, and I, I still remember. you said, I want you to come to this thing in D.C. with a bunch of denominational leaders. And I said, I don't know what the heck Chris is talking about, but I trust Chris. He seems to be right on a lot of these things. And uh, little did I know that I'd still be, you know, what, a decade later, still hanging out with us uh, on this movement. So for those who aren't familiar with Fresh Expressions, maybe you can back up just briefly. Tell us, what is Fresh Expressions on in, in the U.K.? How did it come to the U.S.? And even just your trip, what was the trip that you took to UK, the UK that you said, this has got to come to be a part of North America too?
2: Yeah. So it, it really started for me, I was finishing up my doctoral program at Fuller Seminary with uh, Eddie Gibbs, and we had a class on, uh, it's called Growing the Church in Post-Christendom. And in the course of that class, we had a like a 15 minute period of time where where Eddie had talked about the Fresh Expressions movement as it was then sort of developing in the UK. This was around 2007. And, uh, and he just mentioned off the cuff that he thought that Fresh Expressions was the best example in the Western world of helping uh, existing churches and church systems or denominational systems make the missional turn. And this was kind of around the time when the missionals quote unquote conversation was really advancing even though it was at its very early stages so i just i just tucked that away and then about a year later when uh, i started working with the baptist general association of virginia eddie was coming to virginia to visit his granddaughter and so um i had him come meet with our executive team and he really encouraged us in that to to go to England, see what God is doing there, because I think that it could be relevant for what you want to happen among your churches here uh, around the Commonwealth. So we did in 2009, we took a trip. And what, what I saw there that I think really turned the corner for me on this was I saw churches that were two years old and churches that in their context were 1400 years old. Uh, who who were developing yes it's really funny to say but (laughs) no matter how many times i hear that like
0: when you tell stories it still cracks me up 1400 year old churches (laughs)
2: yes who were uh, developing fresh expressions of church and we saw small churches and large churches and i just saw how applicable this was across the board urban rural and in 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 uh All of my time in working with church leaders across North America, there are actually very few ways of understanding the ecclesia, the people of God, that are really able to be appropriated uh, easily, I think, in in any situation. And I think Fresh Expressions, because of what it is, it's not a program, Uh, I, I, I liken it more to an engine. Uh, it, it can go in a lot of different vehicles and it can power those vehicles. It's really a new way of understanding how we power or empower the church and the people of God. And, um, in some ways it's not new at all. Uh, some ways it's very old, but there are new aspects to it. And so I saw it working across the board. We came back to Virginia uh, where I was living at the time, and we thought, well, we should just implement this among our 1400 you know churches that we have sort of stewardship over. And as we did that, we said, let's invite a couple denominational friends from you know the, around the country who are uh, might be interested in this, and, and it represented you know Anglicans, Methodists, some other Baptist groups, some non-denominational type people. And, uh, but at that meeting, it just was a, a move of the Holy spirit. It's the best way to describe it in which we just sensed a clear call that we needed to sort of uphold this movement and get it started in the U S like the church of England had done for the UK. And so it was just told me at that time, take six months and figure out how we're going to do this. And, uh, and so we did. So it took it, these things take a while. So finally, in 2012, we, we launched the sort of work officially here uh, in the U.S. And it's it's just been amazing to see God at work through it for now the last eight years. And especially in this moment, uh, I just think more and more people are finding uh, the need for things like fresh expressions of church. Uh, not again necessarily because of one particular thing but because it really represents a new engine or new way of understanding what it means to be the people of god
0: Mm. when you invited me to that round table that think tank time in dc i think what i walked away with it was so impressed by that it was multi-denominational like there wasn't an agenda from one denomination who wanted to own it or have territory over it um that it was led by the spirit And uh, that it wasn't a program, you know, it wasn't to just do these seven steps, add water and stir and your church will be a perfect church moving forward. And I love that that engine metaphor. When the the first national gathering, you and I co-hosted that. What year was that? That was 2012. 2012. I remember, Chris, and we were on stage just looking out and seeing. And I think there were, what, over 40 different denominations. And I realized in that moment I had never been in a room where 40 different denominational leaders were not suspicious of the other 39 in the room, um, but they were in unity together of wanting to see God do a new work. And that's when I was like, this is legit. This is this is really um, important for us to pay attention to and ride this wave of the Spirit. Um, I, I wonder if you can talk, why, why right now? I mean, it, Fresh Expressions has existed, then all of a sudden Fresh Expressions has become in my opinion, um, more prominent, more important, more significant in all this uncertainty that we're talking about. So why is that? And why are churches and denominations kind of looking to fresh expressions now to say, hey, we really need to be jumping on board with what you all are doing?
2: Yeah, well, I just think this is in God's, you know, uh, kindness and uh, that these, this is happening in the moment. Uh, I look back upon it and I think that it's it's just so happens that the DNA of fresh expressions as it was developing here uh, was just the kind of things that churches now really need to think about. So, for instance, we've talked from the beginning about uh, one church or one congregation, multiple expressions of church. So there's a need for an attractional understanding of church. You know, the gathered church, what we typically think about is. Sunday morning, you know, and whatever that looks like. And we need scattered expressions of church, incarnational expressions of church. And these things actually don't need to be uh, separate from one another. We really need them integrated. Uh, we need them uh, uh, fused upon one another. And we've called this in our work, when it, when it develops into its fullness, the blended ecology of church. There's a an ecosystem of the people of God happening through a congregation in an area, and um, and it 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 just doesn't look like our sort of old ways of understanding what a local church looks like. It's a new kind of local church. So we've been talking about that forever. Uh, we've been developing models of that for a long time. Our training is geared around that, and so now we are in a moment where all churches. Are wrestling with being gathered and being dispersed, you know, or scattered. And of course, gathering looks different than it did four months ago, we uh, four or five months ago. Whether it's online or in socially distant, appropriate ways, but but we are now a, a, a dispersed, scattered, distributed church, and trying to figure that out. Everybody's trying to figure that out, and it just so happens that that's the stuff that we have been working on engaging with long before the pandemic. So again, that's just, I think that's part of God's wisdom and provenience in the moment that we've already been working on these things. So even like, for instance, right now we're getting a lot of people asking us, can you help us with developing disciples through digital means? And it's actually quite easy to do for us because we've always been working on digital mechanisms for delivery being the kind of ministry that we are. And we've been working on dispersed models of, of disciple making. And so it's actually not that hard for us to put those two things together uh, in the moment, even though, you know, a year ago, we wouldn't have needed to put them together. So, mm. so that's, um, that's just the one example. It just happens to be that this is the lane that we focused on. And it happens to be that that's the need uh, at the moment and for the foreseeable future. Uh, I think yesterday or two days ago, I was on with a bunch of uh, our dinner church leaders who are helping the dinner church movement across the country. And I was talking to them about uh, how after uh, World War II and the the Great Depression, that period of time, uh, Mm -hmm. during that period of time, you know, church church planting, the starting of new congregations, almost grinded to a halt uh, in the United States. I mean, it, it wasn't at zero, but it was pretty, pretty small and you know it was a tough economic time it was a period of a lot of change and and the model of church that we had for church planting at that time was pretty expensive and it involved in most cases a denomination buying land buying and building i mean building a building and hiring a pastor and and wait and then trying to get the community to come and even though we don't do it like that today our prevailing model of church planting Is still very expensive. It just now involves renting space, (laughs) buying equipment, hiring a pastor. So, and and my guess is if you adjusted for inflation, it's probably more expensive now than it even was in the 30s and early 40s. And so that's why church planning grinded a halt because there wasn't the resources to do it that way. But we don't want that to happen again in this period. So, we need new ways of multiplying the church, multiplying the people of God more. Uh, Lower cost, lower risk, fresh expressions, dinner, church kind of ways of of church planting. So again, it's going to be a season where this way of being the people of God is even more important than it was a year ago.
0: Yeah. And there may be a lot of pastors saying, wait, um, and we get this a lot when we do trainings, Chris, you and I know this, we answer these questions all the time. So I'm going to anticipate a question. So are you saying that like the established church is bad and we shouldn't do that? And, you know, only these new kind of uh, fresher and and new, newly started expressions are the only way of the church in North America. You're talking about a mixed ecology, but maybe you can just kind of zone in or, or focus in a little bit more on the importance of sort of the both and in this situation?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, we would be very clear to say both of these sort of ways of being the people of God are important. And so you you need the gathered side of the church. You know, sometimes people refer to it as the attractional side of the church, you know, the, the, the gathering of the people of God at whatever time you do it. But most times people do it between nine and noon on Sunday. And you need the distributed incarnational uh, expression of the church. You need dinner churches out in the community. You need churches started at uh, barbershops and in parks and uh, where people work. We need that expression of the people of God. And these don't have to be different, uh, distinct. I mean, they don't have to be separate because the people who are part of the gathered church can be the people who are helping cultivate and guide. The scattered church. And that's how the, the fusion happens. And then what that means is the, the church leadership, they are going to have a, a different role in the future. Uh, you know, it, for a long time, like I shared this, my story at the beginning, you know, if you're called to pastor, it means you're called to preach. And even if, if people wouldn't have said it exactly like that, if you think about most pastors, what they were trained to do and spend their time doing, they preach and provide pastoral care that's what they do. And I think the pastor of the future, even of, of a church that's 100, 200 years old, is is going to need to really be more of a pastor as a missional organizer. <laughs> uh, will they preach? Yes, they will. Uh, that'll still be important, but it, it just will be less of what they do overall. So it's the blending of those two things, the gathered and the scattered and the blended ecology that that I really believe is the promise of the future uh, for Mm -hmm. churches, because you can, you can just even see this play out very clearly. Now Um, I don't hear any church who is working through reopening, talking about new people coming to church. Like new people are not coming to church right now. They might be viewing online, right? But they're, very unlikely are going to be showing up at a congregation and um and i i expect that it's going to be some time before before that happens but i hear lots of people who are experimenting with house churches and other distributed ways of church like yeah people will come and they'll meet with this group of people in their backyard at the moment um i hear stories about new people coming to those expressions and again if if the pandemic accelerated things that were likely to happen, I think this is one of those things that we will, that we will see.
0: Mm, mm. So if you, so I'm just thinking of some of our listeners, that may say we had Michael Beck on a few seasons ago, but even some of our newer, um, our newer listeners might be thinking, okay, like I am a part of an inherited or an established church. I'm excited what I'm hearing. I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I'm a little bit energized, Uh, I don't know where to go. Like, what would you want to encourage them to do? Where would they, where would you, what would you want to remind them of? Where would they start if they're just, all of this has been swirling around and you just defined exactly what they're feeling now, what, what would you want to encourage them with next steps or what to do with what they're hearing here today?
2: Yeah. So just a couple of simple things, because every congregation obviously is different and, you know, navigating these seasons is is complex. Uh, But I think that it, Part of it is embracing the moment and helping your church understand that we've got a gathered side and a scattered side. And the more that we embrace that and bring form to it, uh, the better off we're going to be in the future because it's going to allow us to be more flexible. You know, you and I talked about this more resilient, uh, more adaptable to for all the reasons, some of which we've talked about. Now, so I think people need to really get that this isn't for the just for the moment. This is for the the foreseeable future, even when there's a vaccine, even when you know we are back to whatever new normal even means. So, mm-hmm. I think that people need to Ooh. need to embrace that, and and then we need to to conduct experiments accordingly. So we need to let people try uh, starting a house church, starting a church in the park. Uh, I think right now actually is a is a great time to really try to get the people of god to do things outside and invite others into it my expectation is barring some really big surprise uh we're going to be in for a long winter uh once once november comes around and it gets cold through february and march a lot of the outdoor things that churches are trying to do now are going to not be as available. And, uh, it's, I just think it's going to be, a, it's going to be a long, hard winter. And if we're going to kind of be resilient through that, we need to take the opportunity that we have now where we can get people together outdoors in socially appropriate ways, uh, to, I think to kind of build us back up, to get people seeing each other again, to get them connected so that, so that we can make it through the long winter because because for most of the country you know mid-march to mid-may or mid-june is a shorter period of time than we're going to have from mid-november to mid-march of next Mm. year and most we're we're not really thinking ahead that far yet but so this is a great time to conduct experiments to um to embrace this sort of uh, mode you mentioned michael beck i think his Great, his book "Deep Roots, Wild Branches" is just a—it's a—it's a relatively easy read uh, for anybody in a congregation to get a good understanding of the gathered and scattered ways of being the people of God. It's one example of how they can work together uh, in a, in a local congregation. So I would encourage people to to pick that up, uh, and of course, there's all kinds of resources on the Fresh Expressions webpage, the Fresh Expressions app that that speak to uh, this reality.
0: Yeah. Great. And we'll make sure to put those resources as we do in the show notes in terms of the books and Fresh Expressions website and things like that. Um, So Chris, just final question as we end, this is more personal. I know we've been living up here on the balcony. Let's come back down to the dance floor here. Um, And just personally, how do you stay sharp? And in this season where there's a lot of rhythms that have been thrown off and everybody's kind of trying to wrestle with what is this sort of new reality we're in, how are you staying sharp or staying sane or staying healthy in this season?
2: Yeah. Well, I think for me, and I would imagine this is a little bit similar for you, in some ways this season has been more stable, even though there's a lot of instability because I'm not traveling uh, very much at all. <laughs> so my my daily routine is a lot more normal than it ever was uh, before, uh, before the middle of March. So, uh, but in general, you know, I think for me, just my basic spiritual disciplines of the study of scripture and the meditation upon scripture and prayer. And I particularly uh, do best when I walk and pray. <laughs> that, that does the best for me personally. Um, uh, and I think just staying s- consistent with those uh, throughout all the years is what I try to do. There are definitely seasons where it's harder to be consistent and the, uh, the time is more constrained and there are other seasons when it's easier there are seasons in which those practices feel more vital and life-giving uh, than in other seasons but i just think about the title to that uh, Eugene Peterson book you know a long obedience in the same direction and that just we just have to stick with our core spiritual practices uh, mm-hmm. and they might be different for different people but for over the long haul, uh, because we don't want our spiritual rhythm to change all the time based upon our circumstances. Mm. Uh, And Mm. I think that's how a lot of people get, they get off. They experience spiritual drift is they have a spiritual rhythm, their circumstance changes around them, and then they change their spiritual rhythm. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, right? Played out in the church. We've had a substantial change, right? And now people who were consistent, faithful churchgoers are not. <laughs> and it's in the change that we lose people. So even churches right now that uh, are, are you know, they're going back and forth between in-person and, and uh, digital and every change, you have a chance to lose people. And I think the same applies to our spiritual life. When we make changes, we got to be really sure to develop a, a, a strong new rhythm or else is a chance for us to sort of dissipate in our life and walk with God. Uh, and I think one, one thing that's just been helpful to me is being consistent with that because even when it doesn't feel right, uh, and I think this is the thing that happens to a lot of people when it doesn't feel like it's working, we abandon it. But our emotions, uh, and our seasons of life play such a big factor into how we experience anything. And, um, not that we don't want to pay attention to them, but but I think a lot of times people change their spiritual practice when they don't feel like they're working like they did six months ago. And uh, I just have found for me, I just need to stick with it even doesn't feel right. I can add something in addition, but I got to keep the core things the core thing.
0: Mm -hmm. well Chris always great to connect with you so grateful for the years of ministry we've shared and look forward to years and more in the future but thanks for joining us here on the podcast today
2: Hey, absolutely great it's great to be here thanks man